0: And if you happen to be in the Kansas City area anytime soon, we'd love to have you join us for one of our live gatherings to connect with you in person. Again, thanks for joining us today, and we hope that you enjoy today's message. So we're going to finish up a series that we've been in. This is now the fourth and final week of this series that we're calling For the Love of God. And so here's really the main idea behind this series. Whether you're a Christian or not, whether you are a person of faith or not, you probably know or assume that God wants you to love him, or that God, even if you don't love him, that he would like for you to love him, right? And if you are a follower of Jesus, you probably, I would hope, have a desire to love God. That would be kind of a, you know, sort of a baseline criteria of following Jesus as loving God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. All all three of them in one, right? So here's the thing about this series, though, is what does that actually mean in our life and how do we accomplish that? What does it really mean to love God and how do I do that in my everyday life? Well, in Mark chapter 12, Jesus gives us really the four main areas of our life in which we are to love God and and what that sort of outflow, what that sort of uh, looks like. So in Mark 12, we'll read kind of the surrounding text that we started the first week with just to get an idea. So to set the scene, Jesus, as usual, is in the middle of a crowd and he's He's been answering some questions, doing a Q&A, a little press conference session here, and he's just got through talking about one specific issue and topic, and then out of nowhere, another person in the crowd tries to corner him with sort of a trap question, and Jesus being Jesus doesn't fall for the trap. Let's read this. Mark 12, verse 28. This says, one of the teachers of religious law, so this guy knows what he's talking about, okay? He was standing there listening to the debate. He realized that Jesus had answered well, so he asked, Of all the commandments, which is the most important? What a trap question that is. But Jesus replied, The most important commandment is this, Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. The second is equally important, love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. So Jesus gives us these four areas, these four ways in which we can love God with everything we have. That's what we've been looking at so far. As we finish up today, it is sort of a two-for-one message, and I will, you know, you can breathe easy. This is pretty simple to explain, but it's maybe not as easy to live out. Okay, that's, that's the challenge. I think that's a challenge of faith in general. It's pretty basic for the most part. It's pretty simple to explain, but then to live it out, it's a challenge. So we're going to be challenged today in loving God with all of our strength and loving our neighbor as ourself. This is a two-for-one. So we're going to see, I hope, if I, can, if I can do this right, we're going to see that these two things are really the same. They are are not connected. Jesus says, you do this and this, but the and there is not necessarily that they're separate, but that they are indeed two sides of the same coin. So what I want to try to walk us through this morning is three truths to help us understand this idea of loving God with all our strength and loving our neighbors as ourselves. Again, it's simple to understand. I'm not going to probably say much that's going to blow your mind, you know, but it's, a, it's a hopefully a good gut check, a good challenge as we, as we leave the safety of this room to go out into the wild that is life that we can still try to live this out, okay? So here's the first truth to loving God with our strength and loving our neighbor as ourself is to understand this, that love is not a feeling, but it's an action, okay? Love is an action, not a feeling. Now, any Lion King fans in the house, okay? Can you feel the love tonight? Okay, now you can feel love, okay? You can sense it. It is something that you do feel, but true love is only true when it is expressed. Okay, the truest form of love is expressed, not simply felt. Love is an action, not a feeling. And we know this in romantic relationships, don't we? Like you can feel love from somebody, but the truest representation of love is to express it to the person that you love. So that's why men, you know, sometimes we'll give our ladies flowers, okay? Give, I'm, take notes, man. I'm giving you some easy tips here, some easy prep points, all right? That's why sometimes we... Now, I will say that uh, Kim, both Kim and her mom are this way, where uh, they, they say they just die, so just save the money and don't bother with flowers. Now, as a man that overthinks what women, how women communicate, I'm thinking, is this a trap? Is this a trick? Is she saying, oh, don't get me any flat, you know, have you ever done that with your spouse? Oh, for Christmas this year, we're not going to exchange gifts, honey. Is this a trap? Is this a trick? What should I do here? If I don't get a gift and she gets me one, I look like a jerk, okay? Okay. But if I get her a gift and she really doesn't get me one, then I look like a jerk. It is a trap question. There is no win. So I would always err on the side of caution. I would rather look like a gift-giving jerk than a, non, than a non-gift-giving jerk. So anyway, so even a couple weeks ago, I decided I was at the store and saw these flowers. I don't I haven't got her flowers, so I just got her flower. It's an expression of love. Okay, it's a way that we do that. Um, You know, that's why hopefully we still, even if you've been married for years and years, you still date your spouse. You enjoy spending time with them as an expression of love, right? Um, And then, of course, the easiest thing to do is just to express it through words, right? I love you, three simple words, and really mean it, you know? It's not like, yeah, I love you, you know? Or, I love you, honey, you know, and you have the knife in your hand, you know, uh, that sort of thing. Uh, it, it's, it's, not, it's not just a feeling, although it is true, but it is an action. And that's why we have this, you know, series of books. I know on Wednesday Night Live a f- few weeks ago, Kim and I talked about the five love languages, that book. It's love languages, which means love is to be expressed at its truest essence. So that's really the, the whole point. It's an expression of love. What's interesting here is that in Luke chapter 10, Jesus is giving this same sort of teaching that he's just given in Mark 12. Now, I don't know if it's the exact same moment in time or if it's, you know, he, maybe he did this often, you know, as he would travel... Uh, We talked about this a few months ago. Sometimes he would give stump speeches. He would go from one town, the same sermon, the next town over. Let's do it all over again, same sermon. So maybe it's one of these occasions. But he's saying these are the greatest commandments. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. So in Luke 10, when he's giving this teaching, a person approaches him, and it says, trying to justify himself, he asked Jesus, well, Jesus, who is my neighbor? He wants, basically, this person is wanting to know, how few people do I have to love? He wants to narrow down the obligation. He's like, I don't have a lot of love to give. I don't really like people that much, maybe. So if I want to still obey God and check the box that I've obeyed by loving my neighbor, then can you define in as narrow terms as possible who my neighbor is? And unfortunately for this man, Jesus does the opposite. He broadens the term neighbor to mean everybody. everybody you know, and he tells the story of the Good Samaritan, where there's a man walking down the road. He's beaten up by robbers and left for dead on the side of the road. Two highly religious people who should care about his condition cross the other side of the street to avoid helping him and leave him there to die. And then a third person who is a Samaritan, the Samaritans and Jews do not get along. We talked about it this last Wednesday night even. They don't get along at all. And this person who should not care about the condition, this is not technically his neighbor. This is his adversary, his enemy. He's the good guy in the story because the Samaritan stops to help this person who's been beaten and left for dead. He takes him, puts him on his animal, walks him to the inn and pays for his lodging and his medical care. And then when he leaves, he says, hey, do whatever else you have to do to take care of him. When I come back, I'll pay the rest of the bill. And so Jesus says, that's your neighbor. So here's the, and I'll get to this more in a second, but even Jesus is saying here without saying it, but he is, even the people that you don't like are your neighbor whom you are to love in order to love God with your strength. So again, these two are the same. We love God with our strength by loving our neighbor. When we love our neighbor, we are loving God with all our strength. Because how many of you know sometimes it takes a lot of strength to love people, right? Even people that you like sometimes, you don't want to love them in certain moments. So how much more difficult and taxing and more energy does it take for us to even love people with which we disagree, people that we are at odds with, people that, yeah, we're not in the same camp in any way, but I'm still called to love them? Yes. That's what Jesus says. That's the point. Loving our neighbor is loving God with our strength. Philippians 2 verse 12, Paul says this. He says, Dear friends, you always followed my instructions when I was with you, and now that I am away, it is even more important. Here's what he says. Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. Now, You'll notice he doesn't talk about love in this verse, but love is definitely included in here because he says, because Jesus tells us, as we'll get to in a a second, that this is what we're supposed to do. This is part of loving God, obeying God, and it's working again. So we talked about that expressing love is the truest form of love. It's the same thing with faith expressing our faith living out our faith is what faith really is it's not a thing that I possess although I do possess faith but what good is that faith that I possess if I don't share it because the point of faith is to share that faith and part of that part a way that we do that is by loving God with all our strength which is loving our neighbor as ourself and who's our neighbor Everybody but me. Everybody outside of me is my neighbor, and therefore I am to love them. So can we feel love? Yes, but love expressed as an action is the truest form of love. Here's a second truth about loving God with all our strength and loving our neighbor as ourself is, again, a simple thing, but it's powerful. Love is not optional. We kind of hinted at that a second ago. Love is not optional. How do we know this? Let's go back to the theme verse of our entire series, and we'll see very clearly. Jesus says, and you should love the Lord your God with all your heart. Is that what it says? I think I misread that, didn't I? It's a good idea if you would love. Now, what's that say? You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other suggestion is better than these. Again, I think I misread that. No other good idea is better than these. No other commandment is greater than these. Jesus leaves no room for ambiguity here. He doesn't say, oh, it it would be better if you would love God and people. You know, Society, and this is true, society would function way better if we would love our neighbors. That is true, but it, for a Christ follower at least, it's beyond a suggestion or a good idea or even the ideal thing to do. It's a command. Not only is it a command, it is the greatest command. That's what this whole conversation is about. The man trying to trap Jesus asks him, What's the greatest, the most important commandment? Now, We have the Ten Commandments, right? And we understand those, and we revere those, and we want them plastered on every school and courthouse. But Jesus says, you know what's even better than those, or what really what those ten boil down to? Loving God with all we are and loving our neighbor as ourselves. You see, when you look at even the Ten Commandments, the first four are about loving God. And then the other six are about loving people. We don't think of it in terms of that, but that's how it's broken down. It's sort of a half this and half that. Jesus is making the Ten Commandments down to really one and two parts. And so it would seem that it's easy, but as we know, it is not. But again, love is not optional. It is a command. It's the most important indeed of all the commandments. And there's one other term, or one other time, rather, when Jesus uses this word commandment in terms of love. And it's in a specific way to a specific audience. Let's look at this real quick. John 13, 34. These are the words of Jesus. He says, So now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. So let's define that term you. Who is Jesus talking to in this scripture? The you he's talking to are his twelve disciples. He's got his inner, he's got his crew around him, and he says, Hey, I've got a new commandment for you love each other so the idea here is that followers of Jesus are also commanded to not just love our neighbors yes but even on a deeper level even maybe in a more important way followers of Jesus are commanded to love fellow followers of Jesus even if they are go to a different church yes even if that church has different beliefs Yes, if if they are a biblical follower of Jesus, we are to love them sort of in a, a unique way that Jesus gives a new commandment. I'm going to tack one more on top, you know, for my A team here. Okay, guys, he's like, you got to love each other. So even if we disagree, even if even when they disappoint, you know, I thought they really loved Jesus and they sinned the other day. Can you believe that? Yeah, even those people, even the sinner Christians, which, spoiler alert, is all of us, okay? But it's easy to do that, isn't it? We looked at, man, I can't believe they did that. I can't believe they would, I thought they really were serious about their faith. Guess what? I mean, they are, I'm sure they are, hopefully they are. And if they're not, let's love them back to where we, you know, where they, maybe they once were. Let's not beat them down. How is that helpful? That's, and the disciples had that in them. They had this competitive spirit with, who's going to be the greatest, Jesus? You know, it's like they're always climbing over each other to get to the top. Let that not be said of us in current-day Christianity. Man, maybe it's a different denomination. Let's love them. Different beliefs, let's love them. Different expression of faith, let's love them. We're not trying to compare. We're not trying to look down upon. We're not trying to be better than. We're trying to love each other. We'll talk about why that's important even more than what I just described here in just a minute. But again, it's not optional. Love is a command. And then another scripture that we'll look at in greater detail in just a minute is 1 Corinthians 13. So we probably, let me ask, anybody at their wedding, was that read at your wedding, 1 Corinthians 13? Maybe, sort of, maybe not. Okay, cool. I'll just cut that out of my future weddings. I guess it's not cool. Uh, But it's the love chapter, right? and we'll look at it in detail here in just a minute. But at the end of talking about love 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 love, right? Paul makes it very clear so we understand it. He says, "Hey, there are three main things in life. There's faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these, he says, is you got it, love. You get door number 3. You got it, love." So, and he says, "You can do all these things." He says, "I can give my body to be burned as a martyr, but if I don't do it out of love, I just got burned to a crispy critter for no real good reason." I can give all my money to the poor and live on the street, but then guess what if I didn't do it out of a heart of love, I've just blown my money for no good reason. It's all it's all supposed to be out of love. If I have faith and live with hope, but don't do it in love, it means nothing. Love is not optional. Let's not forget that. Cuz it's hard to do that. It's hard to remember. I'm I don't want to, but I guess I will and We hopefully, as we grow closer to Jesus, we kind of get over that hump a little easier, a little more often, where we kind of have the want to a little bit more, maybe tomorrow than I do today, as I'm growing in this, and we'll get to that in just a second. Here's the third truth about love, and again, nothing mind blowing, but it needs to be said: love is about others, not ourselves. Love is about others, not ourselves. Again, it seems obvious, but sometimes, if we're not careful, when we express love, we try to make it about us, okay? Let me, let me read this, and then we'll talk about it for just a second. Philippians 2, uh, Paul again here in verses 3 through 5 says this, "'Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others, too.'" You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Again, the word love is not in this verse, but this scripture is describing love. It's defining love. So here's what I mean when I say it's about others, not about ourselves. Sometimes, especially if you're a person of faith, or let's just say anybody, sometimes when we express love to someone, it's so we can feel good about ourselves, and that's just human nature that just creeps in. Yeah, I want them to feel good, but I want to feel good about them feeling good. And that's, there's some, some level to that that's natural and okay. But if that becomes our motivation, well, I'm just going to love them so I can feel good, or I'm going to love them so they'll love me back, that can be a very dangerous place to go. That's not maybe the truest expression of love. And so let's get to a faith component then. We also don't want to love others simply to impress God. Well, God, I love my neighbor today. Aren't you proud of me, big man? It's like, no, that's not, no, I'm not proud of you because you're proud of yourself. There's enough pride to go around down there. Sometimes God looks at us and just scratches his head and is like, what have I done? Probably does that on a daily basis with me. So we'll just, you know, there's enough of that to go around just for me. But sometimes we do, and we think, oh, I've checked the box today, God, because, you know, I did this for my neighbor. I said hello to my neighbor. Yeah, woo! I'm loving you with all my strength because I said hello to my neighbor. I don't know their name or anything about them, but I said hello to them. So maybe tomorrow let's learn their name, okay, and love them with a little bit more of our strength. Uh, And so we don't want to just do that to impress God. We also don't want to put limits on love or qualifiers on love. Again, let's look at this scripture one more time. Paul says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Think of others better than yourself. Look out for their interest. Have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. What was his attitude? His attitude was, I love these fallen, broken, sinful, rebellious people so much. I'm going to die in their place for their sin. He sacrificed everything for love. And Paul says, have his same attitude. Yikes, I got some work to do this week. How about you, okay? But that's the same attitude that we should have. Here's the hard truth. Loving others is inconvenient. Loving others is tiring. Loving others is risky. Loving others can be humbling, especially when it comes to our enemies that Jesus says to love them too. Sometimes your neighbor is your enemy. Maybe literally sometimes they are. Maybe you're looking to move, you know? Uh, or maybe your neighbors, hopefully not, but maybe they're looking to move, right? So loving others is difficult, right? It's not easy. It's, it's, dif- it's hard to do, but inconvenient, tiring, risky, humbling, that's what love is. That's what love does. It does those things. It takes those risks. Because the reason I'm combining these two is because Jesus, Jesus says, love God with all your strength by loving your neighbor as yourself, because that takes strength. Those things, that's why they're combined here. We don't want to put limits or qualifiers on love, but have the same attitude that Jesus had. Let's combine one more scripture. We, so we read... A second ago, we read John 13, 34, where Jesus says, I'm giving you a new commandment to love each other, right, to his disciples. So that'd be to us. Here's here's the why. Here's why that verse is so important. The very next verse, verse 35, he says, For your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Again, love expressed is the truest form of love. It actually has meaning to it. So, true love expressed to our neighbor expresses our love to God. What this verse shows us is that true love expressed within the church shows neighbors outside of the church what they are missing, because at its best, now the church is always going to be imperfect, okay, because we're a part of it and we're all imperfect, but at its, when we're at our best, when we're on our game, the church is a loving, forgiving, grace-giving, supporting community of people. People outside of the church maybe don't get that in their experience, they probably don't that often. Loving, forgiving, overlooking faults, picking me up when I'm down. Most people don't experience that on a regular basis. They're looking for those types of things in all these other directions, and we're like, hey, we're over here. We do that all the time. That defines who we are. When we're on our game, doing this well, and I, I love that this group does that so well i love that we are a family in the truest like as close as you can get without being blood related that's what this group is and i celebrate that fact and so when we're on our game like that the people around us that's infectious to them that's attractive to them you mean i can experience like people that aren't going to get on my case all the time yeah we're not that's not who we are it's not what we do wow i get that all i don't ever get that kind of treatment i get terrible treatment and at their job, in their home, and their relationships, they, they're probably always looked down upon, beaten down, kicked while they're down. I mean, everything. And so when we're doing living this out, this faith, this love, people are like, sign me up. And that's what this is all about. It's about others, not ourselves. So I mentioned 1 Corinthians 13. I want to Uh, I have a list up here, and I'm just going to reference it really quick. And I want to do a quick exercise. We did something similar last week with a different passage. But 1 Corinthians 13 has sort of this this list of definitions of what love is and what love is not. So let's look at it really quickly and do a quick exercise here. So uh, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient, love is kind, love is not jealous, not proud, not rude, not demanding, not irritable. Uh, Love keeps no record of wrongs. Love rejoices in truth, not in, not in injustice, and love perseveres, okay? So uh, when we're like loving at 100, this is going to define who we are. Now, probably not always going to be doing that. We're probably never going to be doing that. That's the point. But here's what I want to look at for a second. I want us to see how we can better love God with our strength and how we can better love our neighbor by maybe seeing a blind spot based upon this list, or a few, and this is not meant to be like, hey, you guys aren't getting this, because that's what, I had to deal with this all week long, so I had to look at this forever, and so I'm like, hey, and luckily, Kim is downstairs this morning to not amend me when I'm saying these words, yeah, you can love a lot better, Stephen, so she can't me when she watches the replay later on, all right, so here's what I did, I went through this list and looked what oh, we did last week at the opposite of each word, which is maybe more of what I do than what's up here right now. But here's what I, I want us to do this sort of mental exercise and figure out which of these describes me and what, so which areas in love can I build on? Which, where are my weaknesses that I can strengthen myself in? So if love is patient, am I patient or am I impatient most of the time? If love is kind, am I kind or am I unkind most of the time? If love is not jealous, am I jealous or do I rejoice at people's success most of the time? If love is not proud, am I proud or am I humble? Am I loving? If love is not rude, well, am I rude or am I thoughtful in love? If love is not demanding, am I demanding or am I accommodating to people? If love is not irritable, am I irritable most of the time or am I pleasant most of the time? If love keeps no record of wrongs, am I really good at record-keeping or am I recordless? If love rejoices in truth but not in justice, in which do I rejoice? If love perseveres, do I persevere through love or do I give up way too quickly on people by not being loving toward them? So I see this list. I see these options and I'm like, I have got some work to do. I have not arrived quite yet. I have not reached the pinnacle of spiritual excellence yet. And guess what? Never going to happen, but we're getting day by day closer to this ideal form and expression of love. I've got work to do. You probably do too. And so here's what I want to do. I don't want us to feel bad about that. I don't want you to walk away saying, man, it was good until like the last five minutes and then it just, you know, stabbed me right in the back, Stephen. Why would you do that? I don't want us to walk away feeling like wah, wah, wah. Okay, so here's what I want to do. Philippians 2.12, we already read this, but again, the next verse is going to reveal, it's going to unlock everything for us, okay? Philippians 2.12, Paul says, Dear friends, you always followed my instructions when I was with you, and now that I am away, it is even more important, then he says, work hard. We'll talk about that in a second. Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. But, verse 13 is the key, for God is working hard, in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. As we've seen this theme today, loving people can be difficult. I would even say most of the time loving people is difficult. Okay, Some days, maybe most days, I don't want to. Some days, maybe most days, I don't do a good job of it. Some people, maybe most people, I don't want to really love. And for some people, maybe most people, I don't love them as I should. But it's the greatest commandment, right? Jesus has set us up here. You must do this. It is not only a commandment. It is the greatest of all the commandments. So I need to keep working at it, is what I understand. And this verse promises... So verse 12, we see this term, he says, work hard to basically prove your faith, work hard at that. Now, that can be intimidating. That can be a lot, that can be more than I can handle. I thought, I thought faith was like a grace thing, and now we're making it a works thing. Verse 13 tells us the reality of that statement. He says, well, yeah, you're working hard to show proof of your salvation, to live out your faith, but God is the one really doing the work in you to be able to do the hard work that's required to show your faith he's doing the work he says of giving you the desire to please him the desire to love him with your strength the desire to love your neighbor as yourself because within my own self i don't have that desire within your own self you don't have that desire not even just the desire but the power to pull it off because again, on my own, I can't. I can manufacture fake love for 10 minutes, and then I'm just done. You know, then the real Stephen's gonna come out. Get away from me. You know. That's you know, so I need God's power to help me to truly love people. Now you may not be like some sort of alien creature like I just was, but I can tell you that if you allow God to work on your heart and on your life, he will give you the desire and the power to truly love him by loving your neighbor. So loving God with our strength is loving our neighbor. It's not easy, but it's not optional. It's not easy, but thank God it's not up to us to muster up the strength to do it on our own. He gives us the desire and the power to do it. And here's why because love expressed in a christ-like way changes everything christ's love expressed to me on the cross changed my life so now my mission and if you're a follower of jesus your mission is to then express that love as best we can through the power of god to then change everybody else not that we're changing them but that the power of love the power of christ through our love changes Everything. That's what it means to love God with all our strength and loving our neighbor as our